Film Society of Lincoln Center, you're listening to The Close-Up. Each week we bring you in-depth conversations with some of the biggest names in filmmaking. The 54th New York Film Festival kicks off this Friday with the highly anticipated premiere of Ava DuVernay's 13th. Through October 16th, we will be showcasing the best in world cinema with premieres from directors like Jim Jarmusch, Kelly Reichardt, Paul Verhoeven, and Pedro Almodovar. Pedro Almodovar is a regular guest at the festival, where films like Broken Embraces and Volver had their New York premieres. His last visit was in 2011, when his thriller The Skin I Live In had its premiere at the 49th edition of the festival. In anticipation of his upcoming Julieta, which screens in the festival's main slate on October 7th, we're looking back at his conversation with Richard Pena from 2011. The event was one of the first in our now annual tradition of free NYFF live talks in the amphitheater of the Eleanor Bunin Monroe Film Center. Every day throughout the festival, starting at 7 p.m., we'll be bringing you panel discussions, talks with the directors and stars of this year's selections, and much more, all for free. For more information, check out filmlink.org NYFF. Let's go now to Richard Pena's conversation with Pedro Almodovar from 2011. Almodovar's responses alternate between English and Spanish, so Pena translates where appropriate. Is that okay, like this? I'm very happy that you, you just came uh, here and just wait in a line uh, under this rain. Thank you really very much. Yeah. Pedro, let me start with a couple. Um, not just because I look at you and I see gray hair. It's not because of that. But when I look at you, I think... Well, no, but it's real. <laughs> I couldn't avoid it. <laughs> I think back to, as you pointed out the other night, 24 years ago when we were together... Yes. ...on mm-hmm. the stage of Alice Tully presenting Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you tell all of us, in your mind, how the cinema has changed in those 24 years. What things have really changed from when this film, which was your big international breakthrough, to today when you are one of the most recognized filmmakers in the world? I mean, you mean in my life and in in my career? But really in the cinema. What in the cinema has changed? What for good and what for not for good? Well, I think one of the most important changes over this time has been digital cinema, both for better and for worse. In this moment, for example, I mean, thinking just to to my movie, I mean, to the skin I live in, we use both both techniques. I mean, this is an... (laughs) <laughs> my brother uh, likes to um, <clears throat> uh, to to to, see, to sign himself like an analogic producer. <laughs> my my brother is also the producer of this movie, and and, uh, and yes, I, I realize that I'm also an analogic uh, director. But uh, we have to share both themes analogic and digital. And I it this means that I'm against digitalism, not at all. And it really, I mean. Really, I mean, I don't know. The, the movie is released today, so you, you can watch it uh, twice. It's better twice. <laughs> it's better always the second time. <laughs> like like everything, you know, everything is better the second time. I don't know. I don't know if you remember when you lost virginity. You know, the first time it was not that the big deal. <laughs> it was much better when I mean after one year. Um, so. No, because then you are more familiar to that, so you can, you can just pay attention to the details. <laughs> that are very important. Um, 
Uh, well, thinking about the, uh, the skin I live in, you know, the, the skin of Elena Araya, the protagonist, that is digital. Uh, and it's very important because it's a mm, sad, subtly uh, artificial skin. Um, I don't mean with that that negative means something more natural, but indeed, that is for us. Both my brother and I, when we were making the film, really sort of need the profundity of the cinematic negative. We need the negative to make the film. But again, here's another paradox. Uh, the digital projection of the film for us is much better. Because we have more control over the machines that project and over the human being that project. Over the machines and the human beings that Because we have more control when we show digital copies over the projection and also over the people who project our digital copies. So, you know, my life really, I mean, changed a lot. I mean, my hair is demonstrated and... Uh, uh, and but also, also I think that the, the subjects of my movies and even the the, the, the the palette that I that I used it became more more somber than before and a little darker than before. It doesn't mean that I'm that I will go in the future in this direction, but perhaps I will be again in, in the other direction. I mean in the direction of women in the universe or even break down. Yeah. That it was is it go to it's, I think it it could be good just yes, to go to go back. Mm -hmm. um, but you know um, so I mean many things have changed day by day in cinema. Um, uh, there is incredible advances, technically talking. Uh, I mean, for example, something that I think is completely liberated is just the use of the camera. Um, I remember very well in Abu de Souffle, uh, the first movie of Jean-Luc Godard. Breathless. That, breathless, yes. Eh? <laughs> that he didn't care. I mean, he was so young and so genius. That he didn't care about the editing. Uh, he cut in the middle of a shot that it was impossible to do it. I mean, the, I mean, even you cannot do that. And, the, and, and also that he moved all the time, the camera, like in the Pine Baker documentaries, uh, without taking care of that. Um, and for some reason, even that I was not in the, any academy, so it doesn't mean that I'm, I'm a student, because I mean, I, when I learn, if I learn something, I, I just, I learn it just doing it. But anyway, there is something that your editor <laughs> doesn't allow you to do it. Now, fortunately, uh, perhaps even too much after the dogma, uh, fashion style, mm, yo creo que sí que se ha liberado eh, los movimientos de la cámara. I think that the movement of the camera has become liberated. Eh, y también se ha liberado enormemente el montaje que proponía en Bridles Jean-Luc Godard. Ahora, digamos, es un montaje, es un montaje eh, asumido por las películas mainstream. And I also think that editing has been liberated. All the sort of advances of Godard has really been taken in and assumed by the mainstream cinema. Ahora, ahora no, no tienes que cambiar de plano para poder montar. You don't need, for example, to change shots in order to edit. In the old days, you had to have something where someone spoke, then you cut to someone listening. No, now you can edit on words themselves or on ideas. Uh, this kind of liberation of editing is really something that's really wonderful and is a big change. Um, siempre, o sea, todas las liberaciones tienen, entrañan ciertos peligros. 
but of course with every liberation there's also some dangers. Eh, a veces hay un abuso del movimiento. There's of course de uh, abuse of this sometimes. De... Sometimes there's just movement of the camera that people do just so that their films look more modern and sometimes the editing can be so disorienting that you have no idea where you are. Pero y sobre todo en las películas de acción. Eh... Yo entiendo que el mito de... This especially one can see in action films. Um, you can see this, I think really uh, the watermark was maybe the Burn series. And in that series, all the sort of editing and movement actually worked very well for Paul Greengrass, the editor. But since then, it's been kind of abused. And I also think that all this movement around and whatever is a way of devaluing somewhat the actors. And I really love working with actors. Entonces, en mi carrera, volví So let's, as long as we're talking really about me, because I'm the one who's here, not Paul Greengrass, Greengrass uh, I have, of course, adopted many of these things, many of these digital techniques, but always from the narrative point of view. What is it that will aid the narrative? Uh, how can I use it so that every detail, every object, every story will, in fact, be emphasized? So for me, anything that I add on, it's for the service of the narrative. No, y yo creo que yo estoy volviendo... Eh... So I think really the more that I work, I think I'm going back further to the origins of cinema or origins to the films that I myself like. For example, the influence of Ingmar Bergman, who I think has really been very, which I think has been very strong in my last few films. I give a lot more attention to the actors um, and also all the sort of elements that go into telling the uh, narrative. Eh, quiero decir, utilizo muchísimo la música, eh, la decoración, el color de los vestidos. So that really every detail that you see in my film has an importance. Uh, I really spend a lot of time on the colors, uh, not only in the colors of the costumes, but also the walls, the furniture, the size of the furniture. Every detail has to have some kind of intention to it. And I, I do that so that everything will really work together for that special effect. Y bueno, afortunadamente no me ha ido mal en los, con las últimas películas. Fortunately, I mean, I, I got quite enough success with the last movie just to keep on making what I want. So I really, I mean, personas, I have to thank you for, for all that. You mentioned actors, and actually that was my second question. Um, Pedro, once again, you've gotten such extraordinary performances from Elena Naya and Antonio Banderas, everyone really in this film. Yeah. And I'm wondering... <clears throat> Can you talk a little bit about that? Your record of just getting incredible performances from your players is really second to none. What do you do with your actors? Well, first of that, you have to take care of them. I mean, it means you have to demonstrate them since the very beginning that they are important for you. Uh, I mean, since really the moment that they read uh, the script. Um, so um, the, the first level of working is that, uh, I mean, really is more like enough play for the stage. Uh, I read the script with them, um, just in my table, and, uh, uh, and then just in the middle of that, then I start um, giving them explanations that they are not specifically in the script, but this is between the lines. So they are understanding more about the story and something that is not exactly sometimes you know it's not written. And once that I we decided to work together, there is a, a kind of como se dice un, un tacit un agreement tacit a tacit agreement. Yeah, uh, I want them 
I, I really I ask them to believe that they are the best actors in the world to play that character. And, and after war, I ask them to believe that I'm the best director for that. <laughs> No, even, even, you know, if that in these two conditions can be false. But if you deeply believe in that, I, I, I tell you, I mean, yes, las cosas funcionan bien y salen bien. If you really believe that, things go pretty well. And, uh... Yeah, no, no, you have to believe. Believe in yourself and believe in myself. And believe in both together. And so, I mean, part of this uh, disposition, in my case, to them, is that, well, I start rehearsing during the pre-production, even before that. Um, and, and so I rehearsed the whole script. And so, like a tailor, I mean, I, I try to adapt the character to the actor that I already make the choice. Um, and, uh, and when we finish that first period of rehearsing, then really, I mean, the characters are absolutely fit for them. And in, that, in this moment, they really believe that they are the best actors for that because it's like a shoot. That, that I made for them. Um, so now after that, we keep on rehearsing during, of course, during the pre-production, during the shooting. When you say um, rehearsing, do you actually, without the camera, go through the scenes and act them out as if it were a play? Yeah, well, at the beginning, we, we just, we improvise, like, I mean, at home, <laughs> really. And I have some tape of that, this is really grotesque, because there is nothing, and you are screaming, so. Uh, but it's good, yes, to, what we, lo que llamamos para romper el agua. Romper. In order to break the ice. <laughs> sí, sí. So then they, they don't feel any kind of ridicule. ridicule. And, um, but after, so, I mean, when I have the, or in studio, when I have the relocation, we go there, because everything changes when you are in the, in the location. And um, so I, I and then I adapt always also the, the dialogues to the location, uh, to the first time that you have the objects, the material, the atrezzo and everything. And in that moment, this is well when I discover really the sequence and all and the shoot, the, 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 the planification. And then uh, in that moment, we improvise a lot. Well, I have to say that I improvise, but in the sense that Really, I mean, this is how I feel. I feel like inside all of them, and then uh, I know I know the dialogues by heart. And first of that, I have to feel it. So it's quite <laughs> outrageous. Yes, uh, to look at me doing every role uh, because I, I need to. Yeah, I need, I need to feel everything, and then I I improvise with that in front of them, and we and they immediately adapt that improvisation and make their. Me, they, yeah, they make their, uh, and we rehearse again. It, it seems that it's a long way, but it's not so long. You have time, you have plenty of time. I mean, during the shooting, you have many, many, you know, there are the 12 hours uh, daily. Uh, so there is, hay uh, muchos tiempos muertos, it's a lot of downtime that I always take advantage of so that I can work more with my actors. And well, in this, I mean, what I need, when I, when I say that I'm the best actor, also include that I'm ready to do everything. <laughs> and, um, and, well, I was, uh, Richard, I was very lucky with all the actors. I mean, in this case, Antonio Banderas, Elena Naya, Marisa Paredes, and all that, Jan Cornet, Jan, Jan Cornet. Uh, because really, I mean, this, in this movie, the, the characters are very difficult. And sometimes, very tough to act, like the, the character of Elena or Jan Cornet, which is the other side of Elena. Um, and really, I mean, I'm, 
and I mean, for the for example, for the sequence, I mean, this kind of sequence of the double rape of Elena and Aya. Uh, for me, it's very important that the actress in this case, in this case, the actress, like uh, for example, this type of uh, sequence was in the in the eighties with Antonio Banderas, that they really are not afraid, that um, they don't. I mean, they, they don't have problems with that, because if not. You feel like dirty or something. That is, some, this is very disgusting. And then I, I it is a, a, a feeling that I don't want uh, to experiment. And so then, then you try to avoid it. Mm, so it is very important for me that they really uh, are ready to do everything, everything which is in the script. But I mean, I mean, I need open-minded actors, and uh, I was lucky because I, I, I mean, in this case, all of them were very open-minded and very generous. Let me get some questions from all of you. Yeah, I was very curious about, uh, you were talking about the creative process, and then you, you also spoke about the narrative. Um, how do you, can you tell us how you start to bring together the, narr the narrative, the characters, uh, how the themes come to, comes together? Um, do you take notes? Do you write it on a blackboard? I mean, how, how does it all come together into what is finally a now mold of our film? Yeah. Well, this is a long, long way. Um, it's a long pro, uh, process that include, include the beginning, just the idea. Um, so when I have one idea, then I take note. I take note of that. Uh, and then I develop like well, the first idea. Usually, it it is it it takes me like like let's say ten pages, and if they are enough interested, uh, enough interesting, um, then I some I mean just when I have more ideas about that subject that is very small, but but I feel deep curiosity, then I'm taking notes of that subject. So. Uh, I'm taking notes about, I'm actually now, like uh, about six different stories in six different um, levels of the development. development. Um, so there, 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 there is one moment when I have like uh, like a hundred pages, more or less, and there is a, like a lot of very different variations uh, of the story with many different characters, many then I said, well, then I reunite them uh, and trying to look at them and trying, if I'm still interested, uh, a unique story. Um, then is the moment to start writing the script. Um, and it takes, me, it takes me like four or six months to have the third draft. Because the first one is just also just a demonstration of your intention with the narrative, but there is not the narration itself. Uh, for example, I mean this the, the, the screen I live in, just just to, to for example to make the structure of the movie, I needed at least uh, the the the, the six uh, rough. Then when I when I knew the whole story, and then I decided what was the best way to say that the story. And then is that when I create the narrative and I say, no, I prefer to stop at the beginning presenting these characters that you don't know who they are. They are sort of weird. Uh, so they, I mean, you, you ask yourself many questions that I don't uh, find out. Um, and the, really in the middle, when two of them are in bed, that they are not conscious of themselves. 
then through their nightmares that aren't complementary, I mean, it's like the story rebuilds itself. This is quite geometric and, uh, and, uh, and quite, quite symmetric. <laughs> I can make a drawing of that. But you know, in this particular case that is very complex, the structure, uh, you need to, to know <clears throat> in advance the whole story. Uh, and once that, I, that I'm happy with the, with the script, then I start uh, to work with the, with the actors, as, as I said before. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, okay. <laughs> welcome. There's a question all the way in the back there, lady with her hand up. Hold on, just the uh, mic is coming your way. But you know, the visualization of everything, it comes when I, when I finish the script. This is when I start thinking about <clears throat> the planification, the, the visual details. Uh, but I need to, to have the first script that I really like, that include months of writing. I mean, I don't visualize since the beginning. Sometimes there is some kind of images that appears really since the very beginning, but not all of them, not all of them. And sometimes, you know, it really, they rebuild themselves like in the last minute when you're shooting. And then I, I change completely I, I, everything and I say to the cinematographer, no, I was wrong then, let's make it in that way. And because you need, I mean, I need, when I say that I need to feel it with the actors, sometimes that I need also to feel the decoration and all that stuff. And you don't, you only have it sometimes in the last minute. So at that last minute, Sometimes I change, but you know the crew also. I mean, they know me, and so they know my way of working, which is doesn't take more time. Is uh, but I, I, I well, this is the way I work. I, I, but I'm sure every every director has their own way to just to make a movie. Yes. Hola, Pedro. Hola. Hello. Uh, my name is Argelia. First of all, nice to be here with you. I want to ask you something related to this uh, chat right now. We know that most of your characters are full of drama, strong emotions. I want to ask you if you have a favorite character, and if you do, why? And talking about this creation of the script and moments, how do you create the psychology, so, description psicológica, like psychological uh, description of the character that you make? I mean, in this movie? In, of, this, in general. In general, in all my movies. In your movies. Oh my God, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I mean, some, sometimes I, you know, my ideas some, sometimes are um, not, I don't mean they are different or how I behave, but um, in terms of, of ideas, I really, I used to, to love the character uh, moved by, by an incredible passion. But, um, but sometimes, you know, I don't want to behave like that. <laughs> so let's say that is good for the character and to tell one story in one, in one movie, but I, for your own life, just, uh, I want to have a little more control than that. Uh, so I used to, I mean, to that question, I used to, to, to answer in the past that I really like a character like, like Antonio Banderas in Low Desire. Someone that is completely, como se dice, impermeable, 
a todas las, las situaciones que le rodean, excepto a la pasión que siente. Quiero decir, es un hombre educado de, en una familia conservadora. Antonio Banderas en el film Law of Desire. He's really extraordinary. He's just kind of unaware of anything going around him except his own passion. And yet he's an educated man. He comes from a you know, middle-class family, actually quite a conservative family. He's really quite macho in many ways. And yet he doesn't doubt for a moment the passion that sort of overwhelms him. He just knows that he's got to follow this passion. He's got to obey the law of desire, even if it brings him to his own death, which, of course, it does. So I like to think I like that character. Y después, por ejemplo, yo creo que también soy una mezcla de ese y en la realidad del personaje de Pepa, que es el que interpreta, interpreta Carmen Maura en Mujeres. Alguien que no tiene, no tiene miedo de, de perder el control. Primero que nada, como diría Grado, soy un fan así en plural. I wanted to ask as a filmmaker from Venezuela, I was born there. Uh, you have a lot of um, not only references, but in, in things that come from Latin America in your films, colors, music, a lot of things. Have you ever thought of maybe making a film in Latin America or having that beyond what we saw in this film that the, the characters are from Brazil, something maybe like in Tacones Lejanos where there was a scene in La Isla de Margarita, which is Venezuelan, but not actually shot there probably. But have no, you thought about that? You know, and in, in general, as you, as you mentioned, you know, I'm very close to, um, uh, to the Latin American music. And, um, and even, I mean, when Caetano Veloso uh, seen in the, the Flower of My Secret, uh, Tonada de Tonada, Luna, Luna Llena, it was a, 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 All, I mean pop and, and also tango and everything, and the, um, of course the Brazilian music. I mean the from bossa nova to electronic music, where they they fit very well. And the Peruvian, I'm very very close to that. This is the, the well, this is the I mean the music. This is the something that I know better than anything, more than cinema. I mean music and literature. Um, so I mean, but I I don't know, but I mean I was in Argentina once, in Mexico twice, in in Brazil several times, and I, I really would like to to to, to work in so many places. A comedy, a comedy. <laughs> many, many, all the Latin, Latin American countries, but also here in United States. And the, I don't know if in Japan. No, I, 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 no, I went a week and it was very interesting, of course. 
Uh, I mean, you, you can have many ideas there, but it's just the last place that I, that I really like to, to live. Um, <laughs> you know, can you imagine one place that nobody just look at you? Look at you in yet that says, in Spain with, I mean, even I, I cannot use this because the people say, yeah, take away the glasses. Because we used to look at our eyes. Uh, so there is, I mean, and you, I mean, there is a very, very expressive language. Even if that's not nothing happened, perhaps you see only once in your life someone, but you took note of that. Send your judge. And this is, um, excuse me, perhaps you're Japanese, I'm sorry. No, you, I, mean, I, don't, I don't want to offend you. Ah, you are Filipino. Oh, yeah, then. And, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, I, I don't want to offend anyone, please. Um, so, you know, I mean, I remember when I was in Japan just, little, just that week for High Hills. And one of the needs was I, I was in the cover of Calle de Cinema, the French uh, and, and I was sitting like, uh, I don't know if I, like this with the two legs. And the, then I see that all the, all the, I was in the cover of Calle de Cinema, the French issue. Uh, sitting like that in for high heels, and you know all the um, all the photographers there, they 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 asked me to do this, and I didn't know exactly why, because they saw that cover, and the the only way for they I suppose that they, to feel authentic with me it was that I, I have to to make this, the same pose, <laughs> than that that they saw me, and also in the street. I remember something. I don't know if I had to talk about Japan or not about me, but you know, I mean, in the in the in the underground, for example, it was a someone that died in the underground. But they are not. They doesn't want. They don't want to be inquisitive, so they don't say, "Oh, I see, just someone like." Me. But they don't ask you. Are you? I mean, it's happening something, or are you okay? No, they don't, because they want. They want to respect you, which is good. I mean, it is wonderful that someone respect you, but you know, the 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 die guy was browned in, uh, in the underground six hours with many different people sitting just close to him without realizing that it was quite rigid uh, to, be, to, be, to be alive. So I don't want to live there. But anyway, I want to make a movie every, every, almost everywhere, including absolutely Mexico here. Uh, and uh, Argentina, of course, Brazil, I really would like to. And uh, Bogota, uh, the, what, what else? Panama, I don't know Panama. Do you think it's interesting? <laughs> yes, also. Okay, good. So. <laughs> Gracias. Pedro, um, scenes repeat themselves in your movies in a, in a wonderful way. Uh, in The Skin I Live In, there's the scene where the Marisa Paredes character is being tied up uh, by her son prior to the rape, which you know pre is very much like the scene in Kika. You kind of, it seems like you come back to these scenes. Are you reworking something that you feel that you didn't express the first time, or is it just that you like that um, cinematic device and, and you explore it in, in the next film? Yo no soy del todo consciente de que vuelvo eh, a utilizar una secuencia que ya... I'm not really conscious of the fact that I'm, you know, repeating scenes because if there is a scene that resembles another one, still the scene in the new film has a justification for being within it. No, y en, quiero decir, en, en ambas películas, digo, en, en Kika, sí, sí, hay, hay también... Yeah, in Kika, for example, yes, you're right, there is a rape, but it's an extremely different uh, type of rape in a way. It's really a rape of the media. It's someone who's taping a rape to put it on television, and the reason for making the film was to attack reality shows. No, you know, in this case, you know, the rape of Elena Naya, it has a very different meaning. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, for, for the rapist, for Seca, it represents, I mean, 
is represent the Antonio Banderas wife, someone that uh, I mean she 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 run away with him. I mean I mean they make love very often, and the uh, and the, because he's so crazy that he, well and all that that he thinks that Elena was the same the same woman, but also it is very, it is very important when Antonio arrives and he sees them again together. So she really want to kill them both because it's like killing um, his wife and also Seca and at the same time. But for me, this is este es el momento en que yes, la película tiene una inflexión en el personaje de Antonio. This is really the moment in the film where the film has a kind of inversion of the personality of Antonio. Eh, Antonio, la punta Elena, duda, apunta a Seca, eh, vuelve a apuntar a Elena, pero después mata, sin embargo, a Seca. Al liberarla a ella, él no lo sabe, pero se está condenando a sí mismo. Para mí es un significado muy distinto de la otra. At that moment, Antonio points to Elena, points to Seco, and then points back to Seco and winds up killing him. And in a sense, he liberates Elena, but he's also condemning himself at that moment. And this, to me, is, is really important. And, you know, and also Marilia watched this, Marilia, the, the mother of both of them, even they don't know that they are brothers. And when she sees that, and she said, Matala, I mean, kill her. Um, she's desperately trying to save both of them because both of them, they, I mean, they are uh, sons. I mean, they are brothers. Even even that they since the beginning, since they were they were they were children, they fought against each other. And then, as she said, I knew that one day they will kill each other too. Uh, and also for Marilia, that is the only character that is conscious about that fatality. That's why I put this kind of wild family coming from Brazil, because they don't have, like us, the Spanish people, this kind of uh, cultural education, una educación judeo-cristiana. They don't really have a kind of Judeo-cultural, Judeo-Christian cultural background. Ellos vienen, que sus orígenes son otra cultura y no tienen sentimiento de pecado, ni de transgresión, ni de culpa. And they come from another culture, so they don't really have that sense of sin, of guilt. But they have a big sense of fatality, and Marilia has that sense. Uh, she knew that saving uh, Elena, saving Vera, Antonio is condemned all the whole family. But it's through that, that rape sequence. But you know, like in the thriller, in the thriller there is a, a lot of gunshots, a lot of crossfire, a lot of rapings, a lot of you know, violent things. You know, some, sometimes, I mean, for the narration, that's, that's good, in, good in the sense, not, not in a moral sense, of course, but in the sense that, you know, make uh, stronger the dynamics of the narration. I'm afraid that's all we have time for. Pedro, thank you so oh, much. Yes, for I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. I'm very sorry. The Close-Up from the Film Society of Lincoln Center is produced by Nick Kemp and Michael Odemark. Our opening music is by Steelism. You can subscribe to The Close-Up on iTunes and Stitcher. The Film Society of Lincoln Center is a nonprofit arts organization based in New York City, supported by individuals just like you. 
Founded in 1969 to celebrate American and international cinema, the Film Society presents year-round programming recognizing established and emerging filmmakers, supporting important new work, and enhancing awareness, accessibility, and understanding of the moving image. To learn more about what we do and support the Film Society by becoming a member, please visit filmlink.org, F-I-L-M-L-I-N-C.org. The Film Society of Lincoln Center. Film lives here.